2: Things
0: you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revins, and this this is the Sunday Seven. On this week's Sunday Seven, we look in detail at the Hawaii wildfires. We hear from Will Guyett about exciting new brain research, find out how Netflix sounded a BBC reporter, and meet the fly guy. But first, on this day in 1930, the first demonstration of home television took place in New York City. A half hour long cartoon show was broadcast to a TV device in the lobby of the Ansonia Hotel, which meant the signal travelled about six miles, setting a new record. Wildfires have become increasingly common in the last few years as the planet struggles with climate change. This week saw evacuations in Tenerife as a combination of extreme heat and drought led to fires on the Canary Island. Thousands of tourists have been evacuated. The people of Hawaii are struggling too with the aftermath of the catastrophic fires on the island of Maui that effectively destroyed the town of Lahina, leaving more than 100 people dead and a landscape of ash. On this week's Sunday 7 we take a deeper dive into what caused the Hawaii wildfires and why they spread so quickly. Laytroer Nick is a fire ecologist at the University of Hawaii, and he says environmental changes were part of the reason the fire spread so quickly.
2: The change in land use over the past couple of decades, the decline in agricultural production, ha- has really resulted in the dramatic expansion of these non-native tropical grasses, and and this really creates the, this vulnerability that we're seeing right now, and and you know the, the really explosive growth in fire uh, that that we, we saw over the past couple of days.
0: Well, the architecture of Lahaina has stayed the same. The past of land use changed and developments were built beside wildland areas filled with grass that basically acted as fuel for the fires, which were driven by the tail end of Hurricane Dora. Clay says that because of the nature of Hawaii, it's not really a problem that the federal government can quickly fix. It needs a coordinated approach to the tropical landscape.
2: We don't have these large f- tracts of federal land, uh, and that's usually the mechanism through which um, we know national forests, Bureau of Land Management. These are the mechanisms, uh, at least in the continental U.S., that funding kind of comes in for this kind of work. And what we're talking about for a disaster like this to prevent the next one is to support these efforts on the ground that are actually altering the condition of those fuels. And there are lots of examples, lots of people working on this, ranging from working with ranchers to do. Tar- targeted grazing, um, doing fuel break networks to give firefighters a fighting chance, uh, re-implementing traditional agriculture. There's examples of folks restoring taro, low-E wetland taro to actually act as fire breaks, uh, all the way through to reforestation where we're converting these fuels uh, into something else, something less likely to burn.
0: Elizabeth Pickett, co-director of the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization, says that while the landscape didn't help us fire spread, there's a bigger issue that's causing more fires in the first place.
3: Over the past few decades, wildfire has been increasing in Hawaii as a result of changing climate, as a result of increases in invasive species, and a lot of our active agriculture going out of activity and becoming fallow. And so we have invasive species, we have fuels on the ground, we have all the conditions that make um, for a ripe wildfire environment where we have just so much increased risk on the ground. And then we have infrastructure and policies and communities who have not quite caught up with the level of threat that we face
0: she says the combination of factors on the ground meant that it all took just one random variable in this case a hurricane to generate a serious disaster
3: when you add in you know hurricane force winds or or any extra little variable to make it even more severe we we were all kind of waiting for the day that something like this would happen but it's sad that it has arrived
0: we've heard a lot no really a lot about AI recently but there are other interesting developments in computer science that could also herald major changes in the way we go about our daily lives we don't even think anymore about the computing power that we have at our disposal from the phone in our pocket to the smart fridge in the kitchen well what if computers become even faster and more powerful it's time to start paying attention to the potential of quantum computing firstly forget about bits of data now we're talking about quibbits, which can exist simultaneously in multiple states that means that computers can examine and multiple solutions all at once. Micho Kaku is a professor of theoretical physics in the City College of New York, and he explained to CNN that we need to be thinking about waves instead of traditional computers.
4: These waves can vibrate in any direction, and they're simultaneous, so that it can actually uh, calculate two or three places at the same time. So, think of a, a mouse in a maze. A digital computer would calculate the trajectory of each mouse at every joint, at every place where there's a decision to be made in a maze. That takes forever. Now, quantum computer instantly analyzes all possible modes, all possible trajectories simultaneously. Now, that violates common sense. Common sense says you cannot be two places at the same time. Well... <laughs> Get with it.
0: It's a whole different approach and it opens up a new world of possibilities, but it's still quite difficult to build a quantum computer in the real world, as the futurologist explains.
4: When you look at a quantum computer, it's like a chandelier, a gigantic device, but the actual computation is done at the very bottom. What is this chandelier? The chandelier is cooling pipes. Cooling pipes to bring it down to near absolute zero where there's no vibrations. If somebody sneezes a block away, that could ruin your whole calculation. And so you want everything to be frozen near absolute zero.
0: Still to come on the Sunday 7 Jane Goodall wants to talk about Darwin and the woman who was outed by Netflix Five. Well Guide is the Smart 7's resident technical guru and each week he brings us a new delight from the world of science and tech First let's have a listen to this well what exactly is going on here
5: my mind is blown i've been hugely intrigued by this one the idea that scientists are reconstructing pink floyd's another brick in the wall simply by decoding recordings of our electrical brain activity now why my Kind of um, interest has been piqued in this. They're suggesting that this could help restore speech in disabling neurological conditions. My mum had two strokes last year, and God bless her, she can no longer speak, or, or the words she the words she produces just no longer make sense. So the idea is. This experiment may eventually enable them to help people in my mum's condition restore their ability to speak via an understanding of what's gone wrong in the brain.
0: Let me get this straight. Scientists have played People Another Brick in the Wall by Pink Floyd. The brain has recorded that and they've converted it back into music. Is that right?
5: Yeah, that's exactly what's happened, and they've used artificial intelligence. So they were played a three-minute segment of the song. Uh, brain activity was detected by placing electrodes on the surface of the brain. They say it sounded like it was a bit underwater, but you could keep hearing the repeated phrase, all in all, it's just another brick in the wall. And then you were getting the rhythms and the melodies intact.
0: Apart from the scientific breakthrough, this is a copyright nightmare, though. I'd imagine Lars Ulrich from Metallica will freak out when he realizes people can download music from their brain without paying him anything. <laughs>
5: I'd, I'd never you know what I'd never really considered that but when you look at like people like Elon Musk is suggesting in the future they're going to put chips in our brains to essentially make our brain a massive hard drive you have got that night that nightmare potentially coming but the technology around this looks like it's going to move pretty quickly these people that have now managed to do this reckon they're going to be able to get even better and they won't need to do surgery eventually um, they're suggesting that this link could be um, huge in understanding brain activity uh, because apparently Apparently, and I didn't realize this until I started looking at this story, uh, lots of people who've had strokes and can't speak anymore can still sing almost note perfectly. So they're trying to work out what the change is in the brain and they're hoping that this technology will help them and this kind of uh, breakthrough is going to help them decode more of our brain activity
0: There aren't many promologists in the world who can claim to have been played by Hollywood royalty in a movie about their life. But Dame Jane Goodall certainly can, as Sigourney Weaver portrayed her in the 1998 movie Gorillas in the Mist. Dame Goodall is still working at 89 years of age, and she's still considered one of the world's leading experts on chimpanzees after more than 60 years of study. Now she's got a new project in mind to mark the historic journey of Charles Darwin 200 years later.
3: The mission is you know, retracing the voyage of the Beagle, at which Darwin uh, was part of. And really, that's when he wrote The Origin of Species. And you know, a hundred years ago, more than a hundred years ago, this man was telling us things about the animal kingdom that nobody had thought of before, and at the time he was reviled. But to retrace his footsteps with young people, when the world is in such a grim state environmentally, giving the young people hope and the tools and imagination to make change.
0: The Darwin 200 ship sailed on Wednesday from Portsmouth with the aim of travelling 40,000 miles to retrace the explorer's footsteps over the next two years. It'll help to train a new generation of explorers and conservationists. And Jane says she can see the change in the climate over her lifespan.
3: It used to be very clear cut: short rains, long rains, dry season. And now it's just a a hodgepodge. It can rain in the dry season. It can be dry in the wet season. It's affecting the appearance of plants, which, of course, affects insects. We need to continue observing the animals and their behaviour because that's one indication of the effect that climate change is having on chimpanzees and the other animals.
0: So, to come on the Sunday 7, we meet Australia's fly guy and hear about the woman who got outed by her Netflix recommendations. Right after this...
5: Welcome back.
0: We've become accustomed to the role that algorithms play in our modern lives. They tick away underneath the surface of our social media, our streaming services, and our Google searches. But how much do these algorithms actually know about us based on our everyday choices? BBC reporter Ellie House has made headlines this week as she revealed that her Netflix appeared to realize she was bisexual. Even before she did herself, she spoke to BBC's Women's Hour.
1: So I was in my second year of university. You know, I was watching a lot of Netflix alongside doing my studies, of course. Of course. Um, And I, I noticed that I was getting a lot of recommendations for... I would say quite niche TV programmes with lesbian characters or bisexual storylines, and I didn't think that much of it, to be honest. But when I told my friends about it, and these are people who, in any other sense, are basically the same as me, you know, with the same interests, with the same age, do the mm-hmm. same courses, they'd never heard of them. Again, I just thought, oh, that's interesting. Why I wonder why I'm getting these recommendations? And yeah, cut to six months later, I realised that I was bisexual, and I thought, oh gosh, it, it really feels like Netflix knew first.
0: She's made a documentary on the subject for the BBC see World Service digging into how exactly the algorithms work and how much data they actually have on us. And it's not just as simple as recommendations based on what other people who watched a particular show watched next.
1: But what I found out is actually behavioural information. So not necessarily what you watch, but how you watch is just as important. Give me an example. So what you click on, whether you pause halfway through, oh. whether you pause and how long for, what device you're watching on, what time of day you watch. Sometimes it's the the screen resolution, you know, really, really minor details that... Subtitles? Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> all, of these, all of these things, you know, they, to us they mean not very much. But um, if you think that a, a machine learning algorithm, which is bringing these recommendations, it has so much data and it draws patterns.
0: One in seven women in the UK will develop breast cancer in their lifetime and it's more common in older women. But there's more than one type of breast cancer in a new group are trying to raise awareness and funds for more research into what's called lobular breast cancer. Dr. Susan McAllis is an honorary research fellow at the University of Stirling's Environmental Health Research Group and she's campaigning to raise awareness. She's also a lobular breast cancer survivor and she explained to Sky News how it's quite different.
6: It generally doesn't form a lump and it generally doesn't show up on mammograms so it's very difficult to diagnose, particularly, you know, it's not meeting the early screening sort of initiatives um, because it's so difficult, it takes time to, to show up and it doesn't have its own specific treatment so we're diagnosed later at a more advanced stage and then we're not given a treatment for lobular breast cancer, which they knew in the 1970s when I was just a schoolgirl that it behaved very differently to the main type of breast cancer.
0: She says because it's so different in the way it spreads and the treatment it requires, the whole area needs to be reconsidered.
6: What we need is a specific treatment and I've gone to the Institute of Cancer Research and set up the Lobular Moonshot project to do exactly this, to raise £20 million because the Institute of Cancer Research has said they can address this, they can find a specific treatment and, you know, there are others working on this but we need a whole change in approach. We call it a moonshot change. You know, if you need to do something, you make it happen
0: Why? it's one of those annoying summer sounds a buzzing fly somewhere in your room or even a mosquito zipping around your ceiling late at night no one could love a fly right or insects generally well you're wrong meet Australian entomologist and author Dr Brian Lessard he's known as the fly guy
4: If you told me as a kid that I would become a fly scientist, I probably would have laughed. But it wasn't until university where I took a lecture in forensic entomology and learnt how flies could be sexy and maggots can help solve crime. And that's what sparked my passion. And I've been studying flies ever since.
0: I'm not sure the flies are very sexy, but our fly guys mm. does a lot of the work mm. insects do and nature is unappreciated. So maybe before you grab that rolled up newspaper, I'd think about the ecosystem and open the window instead.
4: Insects are so beautiful and do super important jobs in nature that we take for granted. They're the essential workers pollinating the food that we eat and cleaning our rivers and ecosystems. And one day they might even be the next superfood because they're high in protein and sustainable to farm.
0: This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at
5: 7am with the regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend.